But from my perspective, I think the most important things is like actually uh, understanding the knowledge like of like computer science and how to use um, like the tools that we have now, be it like Python or uh, TensorFlow. Um, I think if you can demonstrate that, um, then you'll get further than like any piece of paper. Hi, my name is May and welcome to another edition of Math and Magicians. I'm joined here by the wonderful Geordie Chieto, who is a machine learning engineer at PepsiCo. Welcome to the show, Geordie. How are you today? Thanks, May. I'm really doing good. How about yourself? I'm fantastic. It's a nice but cold day in New York, but nevertheless, right, it's, right. it's great. It's great to have you here. Um, so let's get into it. Like, what's your journey been like um, to becoming a machine learning engineer where you are currently? How did you get into it? Tell us a little bit more about that. Uh, right. Uh, not to like start too far back, um, but one of my earliest memories is like playing around on a computer, um, Microsoft Paint and stuff. Really? Um, so uh, I've always like loved computers. I always thought it was like a cool thing. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, growing up, I sort of got into like art and stuff. And um, computers sort of like took a back burner to that. Um, and then after uni university, I found myself um, with like, um, you know, knowledge about how do I, I studied English and drama and stuff. Um, so I found myself like, as you do as a starving artist, um, <laughs> just uh, playing music. But you loved, you know, studying performing arts and right, those right, things. Right. You loved the arts, yeah. Yeah, I loved and I still currently like still yeah. do love those things. Um, and then uh, when I was living in Toronto, um, I found myself going to like a lot of uh, tech events, meetups, um, hackathons, which are like, um, you know, tech competitions where you st sort of try to come to a solution yes. with a team or individually within a limited amount of uh, time. Um, those well, things. Yeah. Was it at that point you started to teach yourself how to sort of code or uh, did you do something to get into coding? Right. Uh, I, I wasn't coding when I first would go to the hackathons. Okay. I, I would just go for like the free food that they have, <laughs> um, like pizza, nice. drinks. Um, <laughs> and then uh, weirdly enough, I, I won my very first hackathon, like my team and I, we won our first hackathon and stuff. And, and then I figured uh, maybe this could be like a thing that I could take much more seriously. And then that's when I started teaching myself to code. Fantastic. So what was your first sort of programming language? Like how did you self-teach? Did you use a specific course or, you know, free tools? What did you do? Um, I think the very first time that I tried like teaching myself code, uh, it was through a website called Code Academy. Oh, yes. Um, I know about it, that. You know, yeah, I've used it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's, uh, I think, a great place for people to start. And the language that I used was like uh, Ruby. It, it seemed like not aggressive, yeah. chill name. Yeah. Okay, awesome. So, you know, going from a liberal arts background and now being a data scientist, machine learning engineer, how did you, how were you able to secure that? How were you able to sell yourself? You know, it's one thing to learn the technical skills, but how did you make the switch, basically? Um, I, I think part of why I was able to make the switch uh, was because of like uh, my age at the time. Um, I, I think I was like at the same age where a lot of the people who they're like hiring into like these junior roles uh, are coming into. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I definitely think I was lucky and fortunate in that way. Yeah. Um, I think another huge part of it was like I told you I was going to all these hackathons and meetups. Yes, yes. And um, employers like actually like really like to see that kind of thing and that kind of like uh, initiative. And um, it shows like a passion for like the craft. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I had like a few like projects that I had like done at the time. Yeah. And I think those were like um, 
Yeah. That, that was enough to get me in the door, at least. Yes. And so you were, because you mentioned um, you started off as a software engineer and then you moved into a data science role. Right. So I guess having those fundamental technical sort of hands-on coding skills was great. And then you made the switch to more of a machine learning engineer. So how would you say being a machine learning engineer differs from being a software engineer, for example? Mm. I'd say um, the things that are like asked of you exist on like uh, different like timelines. Um, Is it more aggressive or? I, I'd say a slower. less aggressive. Oh, okay. De definitely less aggressive as a machine learning engineer. With, with like um, um, in software engineering, a lot of times you're like creating a new feature. It's like, hey, get this um, header to like work mm -hmm. and stuff, and we need this done within like uh, two weeks, um, which is like a regular like sprint. Yeah. Um, in software, in um, that's for software engineering. In terms of like data science, it's more okay. We have like a theory about the way that the market uh, works. Um, can you like study this for like six months? And you you might come to um, a conclusion that um, like not, no, we can um, like inconclusive result or something. Right. And then that's just uh, that, that's just how yeah. it is. Yeah. 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 So again, in that same sort of line of thinking, how do you think a data scientist differs from a machine learning engineer? Because oftentimes people are trying to figure out what path they want to go down. Right. Like, what would you say, you know, are the main differences and what type of person do you feel you need to be or you need to get yourself to sort of develop to be, to be successful in either one? Mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'll say like, first off, like um, the titles that we use in like data science, a lot of the time they're very like meaningless, I find. Yes, it's blurry. Um, yeah, it, it's uh, blurry and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, what you, what's called something at one company might be something completely different at so, another company. Yeah. Um, with that said though, I think that um, data science, uh, the, the role of like data scientist maybe implies like more of like a research. Mm -hmm. um, uh, maybe there's an implication of like less uh, having to specifically like use machine learning, mm -hmm. which always it, it isn't always like the best solution for your problem. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe sometimes all people need is like a bar graph. And as a data scientist, somebody who handles data, <laughs> uh, maybe like your job to like uh, produce this bar graph, which um, provides insights to like. Uh, these stakeholders. Does it make it less exciting when you can't use your cool neural network algorithm <laughs> or whatever, like to solve the problem? Like, does it change the pace of what excited you about data science in the first place? Mm, yeah, I, I would say for me, definitely. That's why specifically I um, uh, like uh, aggressively negotiated for not only like the title of a uh, machine learning, but um, to actually do specifically machine learning uh, work. Right, um, right. Those neural networks, uh, that's what interests me personally. Okay. But that's not what the job has to be. Okay. Yeah. So you've just said with the data scientists, they're more sort of research focused and they may not necessarily, you know, use very complex machine learning algorithms to solve the problems. They might be a lot of the times quite simple, like a bar graph, for example. So how is the work of the machine learning engineer different from that of a data scientist then? Mm -hmm. I'd say as a machine learning engineer, there's a huge focus on like um, actually like doing machine learning. Right. And like what machine learning looks like in like 2019, right. uh, which is like uh, neural networks, um, but also like regression is just like um, very widespread. We haven't um, gotten all the use that we can out of like that very simple algorithm. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And working on models, that's a huge part of my day. Would you say someone that's more sort of technical is, you know, technology-wise is better as a machine learning engineer or someone that's more maths-focused is better as a data scientist? Like, what would you pick out as sort of the key skills either or on both sides? I guess um, a, a machine learning engineer, if you like, like, building, like, things that, like, a product, you know what I mean? Um, then maybe machine learning is, like, for you and stuff. Um, 
perhaps if you um, are less are more into like the math side of things and just like uh, providing like just raw insights that maybe you won't have to be maintained in like some sort of like pipeline, mm -hmm. then maybe uh, the role of data scientist is better for you. You brought up a, an interesting point actually with the pipeline you just mentioned there because um, some of the insights I've gathered from speaking to various people is like, you know, data scientist's role is great. They do all this research, they test it, and they're like, ta-da, here's, you know, the algorithm and hand right. it over to the machine engineer guy to productionize what they're doing right, and exactly. scale it. Yeah, yeah. And then often down the line, it's like, well, now we have new information about how this is being used and it's broken. How do we fix? It's like a lot of the work seems to be that the machine learning engineer really has to focus on how to make this really work at scale. And, right. you know, not to say it's more important, but I'm seeing even just in terms of roles that are coming on more and more demand for machine learning engineers that can really work to produce things at scale. So how do you think the industry is evolving? Do you think we're going to end up with more? Because everyone is saying there's more data science roles, et cetera, but I'm also seeing a lot more machine learning engineer roles pop up. Like, right. what do you think the dynamics are from that perspective in your personal experience? Um, I, I very much agree with um, that sort of like a view of things of the industry as like um, there being like a limited amount of individuals who actually come up with like the initial algorithm, prove that it's like viable. Yeah. Um, and this isn't really in a way that um, you can really put to scale. Mm -hmm. And then there's like another team of people, uh, probably more people who are involved in like productionizing it. Mm -hmm. um, I've definitely noticed that dynamic. Um, I think the line between like who does what is blurry in terms of like titles and whatnot. Um, yeah, I, I think in terms of like what that means for like the future of like uh, the industry, um, I, I don't know. I think we'll definitely have more need for people who are able to productionize things, definitely. Okay, yeah. at scale. Very interesting mm -hmm. insight. Okay, so on a day-to-day -day level, like right. what are the specifics of how your role adds value to the business? Like give us a very high-level overview, especially being a product-focused data scientist, right. you know, are you trying to optimize for the maximum number of, you know, buys on your product? Like what, are you, what is the essence of what your role does to provide value for the company? Mm -hmm. um, so basically, uh, my role on a very high level is um, Pepsi is uh, very active across multiple e-commerce platforms, mm -hmm. such as like Amazon, Instacart, uh, Kroger. Um, and we perform like a lot of like actions, um, uh, marketing actions, and actions such as like raising or lowering the price of specific products. Mm -hmm. And we're sort of not sure, um, was what we did successful? That's like the, the uh, that's like the big question in advertising. Did our ads even increase sales at all? Right. Um, and basically, I provide like machine learning solutions to be able to say, no, it didn't, or yes, it did. And not only that, uh, to what degree? Right. right. That's quite bugging. So what did they do in the Mad Men era when they had all, you know, the whole ad <laughs> revolution? Like, right. how did they measure what they were doing? Like, how has your role redefined the space in terms of what metrics they use to decide how much to spend and now, like, how does it sort of shape, you know, management's perspective on that? And, you know, or is it just something they didn't really bother to measure anyway? Um, I'd say back in that Mad Men era, I think we were just guessing, honestly. Um, oh, on uh, a ton of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> guessing with a ton of money. And it's like, hey, we threw more money at XYZ and sales went up. Yeah. Maybe it was uh, successful. Um, with no real uh, ways of, like, validating the assumptions that we make and stuff. Um, I guess uh, the value that I add now is um, we have people who are able to see the results that we're bringing, um, able to see our validation. And I guess it's um, 
we're not at the point yet where like our, our decisions are law. It's more of like we have people who are currently making these, um, adjusting these numbers, and then um, we provide them with our numbers, what we think um, they yeah. should be doing. Yeah, I guess the, the other exciting thing about data science machine learning is it's not just you can work with them on their advertising. You can, I'm guessing, and I'm interested to actually know, right. can your role also span creating new products? Like, can you look at data? Can you find data and insights about that and then be part of actually developing new products, not just looking at maybe data around advertising? How sort of um, wide sort of scoping is the work of a machine learning engineer right, in a right. product company? Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, that's a, a huge part of... Um, like what we have the ability to do. Um, I personally, like I said, I work on the e-commerce side of things, mm -hmm. but we do have other data scientists in the organization whose job it is to come up with uh, new products. Mm -hmm. uh, we base this off of how existing products have like um, like uh, been successful in the market mm -hmm. and like what features did these products have? Like um, how we, did we market them? How did we name these products? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and that's often seen as like less uh, lucrative than uh, the e-commerce side of things. That's mm -hmm. sort of like the very like, we can make easy money if we can just like okay. do that. But yeah, products, that's definitely that's a huge part of it. Yeah. What would you consider as the biggest misconception within the world of machine learning from a career perspective of getting into it or even just more generally? Uh, I'd say from like a career perspective, um, there's like the assumption that there are like these walls, that there's like these barriers to uh, entry uh, when it's very much like the opposite. Right. Um, and so what was the second part of your question? So I guess what I'm actually leading to is right. what would you say is, you know, the or what would you say are the most important skills or attributes to actually possess to, you know, position yourself to becoming a machine learning engineer? What do you need to learn? What do you need to do? What kind of person right. do you need to be, basically? Uh, okay. Yeah, definitely. I'd say from very high level as a technologist, if you're trying to position yourself as that, you need to be able to, you need to be someone who's able to solve uh, problems. Like fundamentally, like if you can solve problems, um, specifically in the realm of like data science, I think a familiarity with like the common uh, data science, like um, machine learning algorithms and tools, um, and being able to demonstrate experience in those in terms of like uh, personal projects. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So what if I was, and, and it's very similar to where you came from, mm -hmm. you know, what if I was, you know, I'd studied languages at university or college and. Right. I've all of a sudden decided, you know, rather than just opt for, you know, maybe a consulting role generally, I want to become a data scientist. What steps would you advise me to take practically to make that happen? Right. Um, I, I'd say like um, take like an online course. Um, there's like a bunch of like uh, free ones. Um, Andrew and G's course is like a classic one uh, that people take. Um, so I, I'd recommend starting like that and then um, build something. Um, like try to find a solution in your life where like a data science would be like practically useful. Yeah. I, I recommend it as something in your life because it'll motivate you to actually see it through to the end. Um, and then also uh, your network. I'd say def def definitely like mind your network for people already in the industry, people adjacent to the industry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. I remember, you know, people also are starting to ha add, I know their GitHub profiles to right. their resumes as a way to showcase the work that they've done. Mm. I remember seeing someone, he was getting married and um, he wanted to calculate before he actually got the responses back, who is most likely to say yes or no mm -hmm. and decide how much the wedding budget would cost before people even actually responded. So he created a whole algorithm to do that. He put it on GitHub really cool. and then he mm. reached out to a couple of these like wedding, I don't know, 
wedding companies to say, look, if you want to utilize this code, yeah, and share yeah. it with, you know. And I thought it was great because it was directly related to him. It was practical. It was usable. Um, and it can probably add value in some way and possibly be monetizable as yeah. well. So, That's a yeah, great project. Very, yeah. very interesting. Um, I guess then really curious on your opinion, especially because you've come from a different background. Right. What is the place for self-study against MOOCs, against actually going back and saying, do you know what, I have such a liberal background, I really feel like I need to do like an advanced degree in statistics. Like, mm. what's your take, you know? And then you have people saying, should I actually do a PhD? How, what are the buckets you would put these different types of people in, in terms of, if you're trying to achieve this, I would suggest this, because you don't really need to do that. How do you see it? Mm -hmm. um, I guess, um, I'm coming from like a sort of like biased background and stuff. I'll, I'll definitely like acknowledge that. Um, just because uh, it was successful in my life, I don't know if that's applicable to everyone else. Um, but from like what I've seen um, of the industry so far is that like um, PhDs, advanced degrees, um, a lot of the times if they're in data science, uh, these programs are like very like new still. You know, we're still trying to figure out as the industry, like what is uh, data science? How do you accredit someone for having the knowledge that's uh, needed? Yeah. So I'll say that first first off for like uh, advanced degrees. Um, I think stats uh, would be like a, a more like a classic and like time tested um, thing to study. Um, right. And if any of that is necessary, uh, I'd say you have to consider that like yourself, every case is different. Um, but from my perspective, I think the most important things is like actually uh, understanding the knowledge like of like computer science and how to use um, like the tools that we have now, be it like Python or uh, TensorFlow. Um, I think if you can demonstrate that, um, then you'll get further than like any piece of paper yeah. demonstrating that you can. So, Jordi, really interested in your thoughts around some of the issues um, with using artificial intelligence. Um, I was at a dinner a couple of days ago with a lady from um, NBC. She sits on the diversity and inclusion sort of area and trying to, you know, increase, you know, the pipeline of people they have coming through. And we started talking about bias in artificial intelligence and, you know, they want to, you know, diversify their pipeline of candidates when they're looking at new prospects for opportunities. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk about some of the issues around that. Like, what's your take on it in terms of, you know, what can we do to improve this and or what is being done? Can you shed some more light in terms of your experiences as well? Uh, definitely. I, I think the first one of the first things that we need to do that's crucial is um, change, uh, inc increasing the diversity in the people who are like making the, those decisions on a very like low level in terms of like uh, the engineers, uh, such as like myself, who actually uh, write this code. Um, I, I think it's very easy for like a group of people with like a homogeneous sort of like a point of view and stuff to be blind to how uh, the algorithms that they're writing um, affect or don't affect a certain group of people um, who don't fall within that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's like in terms of like race, in terms of like uh, women, in terms of like age as well. Um, yeah, we definitely need like diversity of um, experience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think also, you know, I, I, again, I was at another conference at Bloomberg, again, around bias on AI. And um, 
one of the problems they had, especially for facial recognition systems, there was a speaker there and right. they mentioned when they're actually creating these platforms, the training data set is very narrow. Right. Um, and so it was a combination of, you know, how do we get more people in the system to reflect, you know, the demographics of the people we're targeting this product at? Um, I have a friend that runs a talent agency in London and when they try to increase diversity in the pipeline, it can be difficult to find that talent. So, yeah, yeah. you know, on one hand, it's very apparent that, you know, it would be useful to have a much wider demographic be a part of the build. But on the right. other hand, is there enough pipeline coming through to support that? And I feel like the issue is something that is it's quite complex to solve, but it's definitely an issue because obviously, you know, controlling for bias is a real thing that, um, you know, we're trying to manage and so that, you know, it can be useful and effective to a much wider community as well. Right. Um, so I guess, you know, that kind of leads us on into sort of issues around governance. And, you know, we have uh, someone sort of uh, campaigning to be elected for presidency, um, Andrew Yang, for example. And he's brought in a lot of, um, you know, he wants to regulate big tech, for example. Right. Um, he wants people to be able to control their personal data and profile or even possibly monetize it. Um, and that's, you know, that's one perspective. But the other side of sort of classical economics is, you know, if you try to if you try to control innovation and, you know, growth and people just being able to create new ideas and let it run. Right. If that happens too much, it kind of stifles, you know, the growth of an economy and the potential. Right. So, like, where is the balance in all of this? Like, we're going into this new world where technology companies have you know, valuations that are bigger than the GDPs of <laughs> right. a country. Yeah. But on the other hand, like, you know, if we put too much red tape in the process, are we going to stop, you know, just the growth of humanity in terms of ideas and innovations that will actually solve really good problems? Mm -hmm. What's your take on it? I know it's a very wide question, but just interested on your thoughts around mm -hmm. governance. Uh, definitely. I, I think uh, the point on Andrew Yang is uh, very interesting. He's talking about... Um, imposing like a policies to restrict the way in which um, like algorithms are used uh, for like in terms of like political advertising. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's interesting how we always have these um, discussions in like a reactionary sense. Mm -hmm. So I think that's uh, part of the issue as well. Like we've already had the election that's been a compromise because yeah, of um, the Cambridge Analytical yeah, issue. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think that if we had like people um, like stakeholders, people who knew where the technology was going mm -hmm. um, before we reached there and if we could like talk about um, yeah, like the, the implications of like having that sort of technology available before yeah. it um, affects us, I think would be super uh, useful. Yeah. Um, like we've known about AI for like a hundred plus years and stuff. Um, we, we, we've been able to imagine where AI could take us. Um, so I think we just need to be less reactionary okay. in um, terms of that. So does that mean we need tech-savvy politicians that actually understand how the technology works? Or do we need to have a committee that's very sort of... Because we need people that understand how this technology works and actually are envisioning where it's going. Because right. otherwise, as you've said, we're always playing catch-up and trying to put you know tape on it or bandage on it after. It's a, it's a very fascinating area and complex issue. Um, yeah, I don't know if we need um, tech-savvy politicians. <laughs> we need uh, politicians talking to um, people in the industry. And, like, maybe, yeah, tech-savvy politicians. I, it was kind of like um, when Zuckerberg was uh, interviewed by Congress and stuff. 
it was kind of like uh, cringy to hear some of the questions that people had. Like, right, right. <laughs> what is this Facebook Messenger? I'm like, you should be aware <laughs> of that as somebody who runs wow. a nation. <laughs> yeah. Wow, wow. I, I guess, um, you know, you know, there is a statistic that says by 2025, I believe 75% of the workforce will be millennial. And okay. we're on the cusp of, you know, the generation that, you know, we grew up with computers a lot, you know, younger than the previous generation. And I guess, you know, as that happens more and more, what will probably happen is the places of Congress will be occupied with people that grew up with this technology. Right. I, I don't know if it will improve the situation because now we have the next generation where they've known nothing but touch phones, for example, yeah. and it's mm -hmm. like, you know, the rate of information production and it just keeps getting faster and faster and faster. And there's, there's a lot of activity, certainly. Um, I mean, what would be, do you have any sort of salient advice for any aspiring data scientists just generally or machine learning engineers, any sort of words of advice um, just generally from a career perspective? Um, I, I'd say definitely keep your network uh, strong would be one of the most important things I would um, to say to you. Uh, your reputation like precedes you. Yeah. Um, I, I'd say definitely like build things that you can talk about with other people as well. Uh, a, a lot of times you have uh, people in interview situations are talking very theoretical about um, the things that they're doing. But if you can demonstrate that you have actually done it, I think it puts you ahead of uh, the crowd. Fantastic. Well, yeah. it's been a pleasure speaking with you, Jordi. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Fantastic. So thanks for watching, guys, and we'll see you on the next episode. Please do like, share, and comment below. Until the next time, have a good day.